My name is Jonathan Shackleton, an Irish cousin of Serana Shackleton, who himself was born in County Kildare in 1874. Serana Shackleton is probably Ireland's best-known explorer, celebrated internationally for his expeditions to Antarctica, and especially for his heroic feats of survival after his ship, the Endurance, became trapped in the ice. His ensuing journey to save his men had been chronicled in books, films and theatre. Now, during the COVID-19 pandemic, we all find ourselves asked to endure. In our case, to endure isolation, boredom and anxiety while we try to stop the spread of this virus and protect the health of ourselves and everyone else. In 1914, just before his endurance expedition, Shackleton wrote about what he felt were four qualities needed as a polar explorer, which he also felt were necessary for every person to go through this world successfully. He put these in the order he felt were most essential. These were, first, optimism, second, patience, third, idealism, fourth, courage. We can learn from Shackleton that these qualities can help us through the next few weeks and months. So we have highlighted and discussed them for you in this short podcast series. We hope you enjoy it. And if we piqued your interest in Shackleton or polar exploration, then consider joining us at the next Shackleton Autumn School in Ireland at Athai, County Kildare. When I look back at those days, I have no doubt that Providence guided us not only across those snow fields, but across the storm-white sea that separated Elephant Island from our landing place on South Georgia. I know that during that long and racking march of thirty-six hours, over the unnamed mountains and glaciers of South Georgia, it seemed to me often that we were four, not three. I said nothing to my companions on this point, but afterwards Worsley said to me, Boss, I had a curious feeling on the march that there was another person with us. Green confessed to the same idea. One feels the dearth of human words, the roughness of mortal speech in trying to describe things intangible. But a record of our journeys would be incomplete without a reference to the subject very near to our hearts. Can you tell me your name and how you became interested in Ernest Shackleton? My name is Laura Leonard. Uh, I first heard of Shackleton, my early, Shackleton in my early teens. Um, I had a particular interest in the animals and the different roles of the animals on the expeditions. The dogs played various roles. They kind of took on almost a domest- the role of a domestic pet of today, unquestioning, loyal, fun, and always apparently in good form. And they feature a lot actually in Hurley's um, photographs and films. Then there was also Mrs. Chippy, who turned out to be a 
he cat that belonged to McNish, and in the end they had to there was a disagreement and a, a rift between Shackleton and McNish. Um, because the cat had to be killed. So that was kind of my introduction to Shackleton and the story. So this episode is about idealism, which was one of the qualities that Shackleton felt every person and certainly every polar explorer needed. We've opened with a quote from his book South. In previous episodes, we've heard about their survival on the ice flow and then their Um, escape in the boats as that flow breaks up to Elephant Island and then the sending of Shackleton and five other men to South Georgia and then they arrive at South Georgia and then can you explain what happens yet next? They have a 36 hour trek across this mountainous um, terrain, a very difficult terrain, um, with little or no food, um, exhausted from an 800 mile voyage in a 22 foot vessel but they still have their comrades that they have to get back and save and bring home. They felt at times an extra presence or a higher presence there, looking out for them, taking care of them, sort of like a guardian angel, if you like. The the quality of idealism is one of the ones that Shackleton emphasised as important for, for success in life. In fact, he placed it ahead of courage Um, in his list for the boys magazine that he wrote too. What does idealism mean to you? It's about believing that there is something out there worth striving for in life. It's quite abstract. It's belief, but it is the motive force to get up every day and do your best. Are there particular activities that you think are, you know, in our modern world that, that chime with the idea of idealism? Um, and a good example there would be uh, athletes, sportsmen, um, the hours of training and practice that they have to put in, the zone that they have to put their entire bodies into to feel as if they're competing almost against themselves, to strive that bit higher, to achieve the very, very best. So do you think, by the same token, do you think Shackleton was an idealist? Absolutely. Undoubtedly, I don't think you can be an explorer if you don't think that there's something out there worth searching for. I just want to interrupt Laura here for a minute so that I can play you a small piece of Ernest Shackleton himself speaking on exactly this kind of theme. He recorded the following on an Edison Amberall wax cylinder in New Zealand shortly after his return from the Nimrod expedition. That was his attempt to reach the South Pole first. And in that recording, you're going to hear how Shackleton admired his men for their ability to continue striving even in the most difficult conditions. Those 14 men who were my comrades, who, regardless of self, denied themselves in every possible way to promote the success of the expedition. And it has been through them that we have achieved the measure of success that uh, the country seems to think we have done. So now... Back to Laura. Can you give us any particular examples from his uh, various expeditions that you think are really good examples of being idealistic? Um, I can give you several examples, actually. One that comes to mind is when he was posted to Murmansk in Russia. He was looking after the equipment for the soldiers out there. And he um, came across a soldier one day Um, when he was looking after his gear and he quoted a poem to the soldier. 
soldier replied who was the author, Ernest Shackleton, dis disguising his own part in it, explained to him who it was. And the soldier was surprised to think that such a tough explorer could write poetry, to which Shackleton responded that a person couldn't be an explorer if they weren't also a romantic, and that romantics are dreamers, and dreamers are often idealists. In fact, Shackleton was a big fan of poetry. So on the occasion of him making that wax cylinder I spoke about a moment ago, he didn't just praise his men and talk of the achievement of the expedition. He also read a poem by the poet Robert Service called The Lone Trail. Robert Service, if you haven't heard of him, was sometimes called the Canadian Kipling. And now, like myself, they long to go again. They want to, they feel the wild calling them and the silent wake of the frozen south. And they want to be on the lone trail, the trail that the Canadian poet speaks about, and he says that the trails of the world be countless, and most of the trails be tried. You tread on the heels of the many till you come where the ways divide, and one lies safe in the sunlight, and the other is dreary and wan. Yet you look aslant on the lone trail, yet the lone trail lures you on. One of the other poets that Shackleton was particularly fond of was Robert Browning, and in fact, Browning's legacy featured in his life in a somewhat unusual manner, as we'll hear about next. Are there any other examples from his life that kind of show that romanticism or that idealism? Shackleton was the president of the Browning Settlement in London for 10 years. Can you just explain uh, what the Browning Settlement was? Because people may not be familiar. It was an innovative idea uh, aimed at reducing the class gaps in society. Um, in this model, university graduates and uneducated would come together and live interdependently in settlements. That the free interassociation would break down barriers and rise all boats. So the idea was to kind of integrate people from different classes as a kind of communal society. Absolutely. Do you think in his dealings with his men and in his life that Shackleton was generous? Yes, I suppose uh, partly because he was neither Navy nor military. So his uh, leadership style was different. He wasn't, I suppose, one to shout orders um, and bang sticks. He was more of a character that he would assess situations. He would bring people along who treat the entire crew um, identically be it the lowly stowaway, the most vulnerable person on the ship, to the Cambridge qualified scientist. In terms of the kind of goals that he was striving for on his polar expeditions, how would you say those ideas fit in with the concept of, or his concept of idealism? Undoubtedly, he had his own personal objective, but there was also scientific, geographical and increasing our world knowledge as prizes. He would have been aware from his previous expeditions um, about the harsh practicality, the poor diet, the um, miles of trudging through extreme conditions, uh, lack of food, harsh physical and mental demands that, um, and his, his um, responsibility towards um, others, particularly as a leader of his own expedition. And at that point in time, neither of the poles had been reached. And even though he didn't reach the pole, he was he he had to turn back within a hundred miles of it. 
he didn't pursue that objective recklessly, you know, for himself and his ego. He knew that he couldn't go any further. And so immediately he immediately his mind and his focus shifts and he concentrates his his, his mind on a new objective. And that being the return of his men to safety. Exactly. Yeah. How do you see his specific kind of early interest in reaching the South Pole um, as an example of idealism? In 1907, he set out on his ship, uh, the Nimrod, to reach the Antarctic um, and attempt to reach the South Pole. At that point in time, nobody knew what the um, poles were like. Did they have a physical feature, a marked spot? Um, where they just a tunnel through the world, through the earth. Um, all these theories, there were all these theories, but nobody actually knew. And to come so far and to be so close, to be so near, some people would just carry on. But he knew the dangers from previous expeditions, that, that it wasn't the right time. And a lot could still be learned from how far they had got. Yes, and I suppose if your goal is a kind of a bigger idealistic view of improving science, gathering information, then you've already achieved that to some degree. And the the final push at the risk of everyone's life is just ego. Yeah, and it's not worth it. But also, he was a dreamer, Shackleton, but he was able to combine that with pragmatism. And it's the seamless mixing of those two traits, which I think were core traits, that enabled him to move things along and to um, motivate himself. Um, so you mentioned the expedition to cross Antarctica, which is the endurance expedition. So the pole has already been um, reached at that stage. He's failed to be the first to reach the pole, and he goes on a second expedition, which is an attempt to actually cross the continent. Um, mm-hmm. And that falls foul of the ice, um, the, the ship is crushed in the ice and then they voyage in the lifeboat that James cared or a portion of them go for help to rescue the rest of them. Um, what examples do you think are there in that story of idealism? He had had a, a lot of months to come to, the term, to come to terms with the fact that the, the expedition as such had failed. They were not going to cross Antarctica. The dream he had planned and built on for the preceding years, unfortunately, was over. As an idealist, he could see that when that when the ship went down and was crushed by the ice, the next paramount objective was to get everybody home safely. And an idealist that he was, he put all his effort now was going to be directed towards that destination. For myself, I could not sleep. The destruction and abandonment of the ship was no sudden shock. The disaster had been looming ahead for many months, and I had studied my plans for all contingencies a hundred times. But the thoughts that came to me as I walked up and down in the darkness were not particularly cheerful. The task now was to secure the safety of the party, and to that I must bend my energies and mental power and apply every bit of knowledge that experience of the Antarctic has given me. The task was likely to be long and strenuous, and an ordered mind and a clear programme were essential 
if we were to come through without loss of life. A man must shape himself to a new mark directly the old one goes to ground. Did you want to contrast him with Scott, with the attitude of Scott, who he had actually served under Scott on, on a previous expedition? When Scott got to the South Pole, his reaction was, because Raoul and Winston, he had reached it six weeks previously. So when Scott arrived um, and saw that he was not the first, his reaction was, great God, what an awful place. And if you were there in that situation and you had to trudge back life or, in a life or death situation, it's not exactly the most inspirational start to have. Shackleton didn't let the head drop. He, he'd strive on. He had a new ideal. And his new ideal now was destination home and home safely for each and every person. That was the most important thing to him now. So he was able to kind of shift his goals to meet the situation and not just be defeated by the circumstances. Absolutely. And yeah, and I suppose if you're Shackleton and if you'd been motivated, say, only by financial gain or only by the fame that would come with being the first to cross the continent, then you might have find found it very hard to rally yourself to kind of have the same enthusiasm for the terrible dangers that they put themselves through in order to to just pursue getting home yeah it would require massive internal drive on everybody's part the generating the that amount of resolve from internal sources alone has to have some strong attraction to some external ideal which you could look at um, Viktor Frankl and his survival of a German extermination camp. He wrote a book on it, Man's Search for Meaning. And in his summary, he said, he who can find a why will find a how. Uh, Shackleton's will to get everybody home safely enabled him to find the best way forward. And, and everybody survived. Yeah. And it's that amazing belief in the importance of the why that I think is so kind of compelling about that story. You know, his decision that now my, you know, now I'm focused on getting everyone home. And, and this is as important to him clearly as it would have been important to achieve the, the goals of the expedition. Absolutely. Do you think there's any aspect of idealism that either helps us deal with the pandemic or helps us to understand the situation that we're in? Um, one lesson we can all learn from Shackleton is that we're capable of far more than what we think we are. But we have to link our endurance with something that we're striving for, a goal or something to achieve. You think maybe that our political leaders need to, to sell us a destination, even if it's an idea rather than a... Yeah, and not be not be so worried about the populist view. How can we get out of this as quickly as we possibly can? You have to find a way to mix idealism with practicality, the psychological and the physical. These two aspects are sometimes seen as opposites, but they really are not because they both exist in different time frames. So maybe in our current situation, imagine a better world, but wash your hands. The only way down was through the waterfall itself. To go up again was scarcely thinkable in our utterly wearied condition. 
we made fast one end of our rope to a boulder. Then Worsley and I lowered Crean, who was the heaviest man. I went next, sliding down the rope, and Worsley, who was the lightest and most nimble member of the party, came last. The rope could not be recovered. We had flung down the adze from the top of the fall, and also the log-book and the cooker. That was all, except our wet clothes, that we brought out of the Antarctic, which we had entered a year and a half before, with well-found ship, full equipment, and high hopes. That was all of tangible things, but in memories we were rich. We had pierced the veneer of outside things. We had suffered, starved, and triumphed, groveled down, yet grasped at glory, grown bigger in the bigness of the whole. We had seen God in his splendours, heard the text that nature renders. We had reached the naked soul of man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of What Would Shackleton Do? My name is Juliana Edelman and I'm a historian at Dublin City University. I'd like to thank the following people. Jonathan Shackleton is an Irish-born family historian and Antarctic expert with many other interests including natural history and forestry. Laura Leonard is a pharmacist who lives in Dublin. Our music is from Shackleton's Endurance, commissioned by the museum in 2014 on the centenary of the Endurance Expedition. The music itself is by Brian Hughes, and the narrative, which you haven't heard, is by John McKenna. The extracts from Shackleton's South were read by John Carty, an actor and founding member of the Blue Raincoat Theatre Company based in County Sligo. As I mentioned during the recording, those snippets of Shackleton's voice are from a wax cylinder recording in 1909 after he returned from the Nimrod Expedition. Thanks again for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Edelman Juliana or at Athai Heritage for the Shackleton Museum. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd appreciate if you would leave a review or a rating so that other people can find us more easily.